back to Mesoamerican Studies on Air, the podcast that brings you real, recent research on ancient Mesoamerica. I'm your host, Catherine Knuckles Wild. My co-host, Tony DeLuca, will be introducing the guest for today's episode. Today's episode, we are joined with my friend, Cuauhtémoc Vidal-Guzman. He is a PhD candidate at George Washington University in Washington, D.C. Uh, I know him from our time as undergrads at SUNY Albany. And then uh, later when I went on to do my MA in Denver, he went on to do his MA in Boulder. And he is here to talk to us about the archeology span of Oaxaca, uh, but he has a long history and experience with a wide variety of regions in Mesoamerica, including Chiapas, Yucatan, Tlaxcala, and Veracruz. Um, but since his MA, he's focused mostly on Oaxaca archeology. span So welcome, Cotemoc. Well, first of all, thank you for uh, inviting me to uh, participate. I, I definitely, again, uh, I think it is a great venue to to try to reach a wider audience uh, in, in terms of uh, Mesoamerica and also in terms of like the, the specific work that I think all of the participants do. So again, yeah, thank you for inviting me. So um, for those of us unfamiliar with Oaxaca, like me, despite knowing you for a long time, <laughs> um, you've talked to me a lot about the Mixtec. So who exactly were the Mixtec and how are they different or similar to other groups that people might be familiar with, like the Zapotec from Monte Alban? Yeah, so I feel like when we talk about Oaxaca archaeology, most people that are doing Mesoamerica know Monte Alban because that's where, uh, unfortunately, I mean, I, was, I wouldn't say unfortunately in the bad sense, but like, um, where a lot of the uh, uh, the field work when it comes to archaeology has happened or has taken place is in the Valley of Oaxaca. And the Mixteca, it's an, a region northwest um, of the valley. Uh, in um, But uh, unfortunately, I feel like the Mixteca is for the most part known for the codices, which are a great, great, great tool. But at the same time, they are a limiting tool in the sense that people think or assume that we know the history of the Mixteca by way of the codices. However, there is a very deep and long occupation before we get to the post-classic period. So just to like really quick, uh, the, uh, the, the, the site that I work on, which is in Atlatongo, is actually one of the earliest sites uh, that's uh, occupied in the Mixteca and it dates to roughly 1300 uh, BCE. And um, it has a continuous occupation all the way into the post-classic and then later into contemporary times. So it's actually uh, the occupation in the Mixteca has a very, very deep uh, um, historical depth. It's just that most people equate the Mixteca with like the post-classic and specifically with the codices. And it's specifically because of the fact that like you have like the whole uh, the notion of the Mixteca uh, Pueblo style uh, or like so-called international style and that's the reason why people tend to have this association. But um, so when we talk about the, the Mixteca, it's, um, or the, first of all, the Mixteca is kind of like the name that was given by the Aztecs, the Mixteca. So the, uh, the, the name in, in, in Mixteca is actually the Nusabi or the Nusabi region. 
new uh, new uh, I, I almost forget what was the other one. Tunsabi. Uh, it's like depends on the variant of the different uh, the different dialects within uh, the Mishra language, but um, yeah, so it's um, uh, it's a um, a region um, for the most part. Academics tend to separate Oaxaca into eight different regions. However, I do think that there are way more than eight because the, the landscape is extremely extremely rugged. So within the Mixteca, for example, you have many many different small valleys. And I do think that there are different mixtecas because there are many different things that are actually happening within these valleys rather than um, uh, throughout the entire region. But unfortunately, people tend to lump them together into like big clusters. So like you have the mixteca alta, the mixteca baja, and then the mixteca de la costa. But again, within these three regions, there are many, many multiple ones. And that is actually a, an interesting proposition of like how the mixtecas themselves separated or debated, divided themselves uh, during colonial times. But um, most people are kind of like unaware of that, and people tend to think about kind of like just the three mixed texts. But uh, in terms of the cultural aspect of, because uh, uh, that does mainly the geography, in terms of the cultural aspect, the Mishtek themselves are a group that um, whose language is actually very close to the Zapotecs. So they're both Ottomangian, but um, I, again, but like because of the history of how, where uh, most of the archaeology has taken place in Oaxaca, people know Montalban and the Valley of Oaxaca, but the Mixteca kind of like tends to, to get forgotten within all of this. Um, so uh, I, I guess I should say also that um, there are a very close linked group of people with the Zapotecs, but um, they also have their own idiosyncrasies and their own uh, diversity within themselves. Yeah, I love the fact that you're talking about the the huge diversity within this region. Um, and we'll have an episode coming out sometime around this the time that this episode comes out um, from another scholar, Marika, who's who's been spending time walking along these different geographic regions with people. Um, and I yeah, I think this is something that that not a lot of us know about, especially those of us who don't actually work in Oaxaca, is just this this diversity that exists in the region and uh, and I love seeing the passion that you have about this topic I mean even just talking about like you know the basic introduction to the area it's really coming through um, so I would love to know a little bit about the project that you're working on um, for your own dissertation and what questions led you to want to study it yeah, so um, um, I, I guess it's kind of like a, a little interesting the way I get to the Mixteca because uh, for my master's, I was working in the uh, in the Mixteca de la Costa, specifically in the lower Rio Verde Valley. But uh, mm -hmm. I, I guess one thing led to another. I ended up now in the Mixteca Alta, specifically in, in, in the site of the Tlatongo that I mentioned before. But this the project of, uh, I mean, that, that project is uh, my advisor. Uh, he's the, the PI. And uh, that project is centered around the early formative, specifically uh, looking at the interaction between the Mishtiks and the Olmecs. But uh, while I was working there in 2015, mm. 16, and 17, um, I, I got a sense that the people, the contemporary community of Etotongo, didn't really felt so inclined to, to those particular temporalities. They were a little more interested in another section of the site who happens to, to date to the classic and post-classic periods. 
So uh, for me, because I'm uh, really interested in uh, participatory research and trying to engage the community as much as possible, uh, um, like, yeah, I definitely feel like the community had a really big sense in driving me towards understanding or like, towards moving to the later phases of occupation rather than to continue working on the earliest occupation at the site. And, um, and so because of that, uh, I kind of started to learn a the classic periods in, in the Mixteca, and little did I know that it's actually one of the least study areas in, in the entire um, yeah, in, in entire Mixteca. So again, everybody knows the Mixteca during the post-classic, but mainly because of the codices, not so much because of the archaeology. And uh, I, I do think that like my, my research is kind of like slowly filling that gap. I mean, right now there's also another big project that is also kind of like aiming at understanding that particular temporality as well. So I'm really excited to see what kind of data we can compare one another uh, once um, once they're published on, on, on some of this. But the, the main driving force for me was that like the community really wanted to understand more a little bit in terms of the uh, the more recent ruins rather than the earlier occupation of the site. Mm. So it's you're really trying to dig into what was actually happening at the site during this time period then. Yeah, and then specifically because again, as I mentioned uh, at the beginning, um, one of the things, like one of the biggest insights I feel that uh, the project that my advisor has um, produced was that at the Tongo, it's this little village that is one of the earliest that it gets occupied and it has continuous occupation throughout the entire uh, pre-Hispanic uh, history or temporality and then into contemporary, modern and contemporary times. So for me, that kind of like says that there is something particular about this area that, that, that kind of like connects people with, their, with the landscape. And I kind of want to understand a little bit of what, what that is because uh, in kind of doing a little bit of comparative analysis, so why is it that like some areas um, I, I I don't like to use the word collapse, uh, but like uh, there is some crisis mm -hmm. going on during the classic and post-classic, and it's uh, it's experienced very diverse or like very wide in many different areas of Mesoamerica. But at least in this particular region, specifically in this particular site, it's uh, we don't see those big drastic changes. Well, one of the things that we see is actually persistence through uh, through time. So uh, my research is geared mm. towards understanding that that persistence. Why is it that they were able to uh, uh, to to withstand the big crisis that is going on during the classic and post-classic, or like the transition? Yeah. So, what are your research questions for your dissertation that you are hoping to address with your recent um, time in the field? Like I understand you spent about six months in Oaxaca. So what, what are you trying to answer? And then um, how, how do your research questions fit in with community interests that you also hope, you know, hope to address? Yeah, so the, the biggest question is, um, the, the first question for me is, is there actually perseverance or persistence through this particular time period? So is there is, is the, the site actually, do we have evidence that the site was actually occupied during this time period, or is it similar to others where it actually um, suffered the same kind of, um, of changes, political crises, and, uh, and maybe even the population? 
And one of the interesting things during uh, during my dissertation is that I was actually able to uh, to to find one particular household that dates to the classic and one particular household that dates to the post-classic. So I do think that um, while the population center might have shifted a little bit, I think that the site is actually uh, occupied during this particular uh, transition. So I think that I, I was able to answer uh, really that part of my dissertation work because I wasn't expecting it to be that, that like that is straightforward. I feel like most people, when they're, they're doing their dissertation, they have to change so much uh, their questions after they actually go and excavate because either they, they didn't find what they uh, what they were looking for, or they um, they found some other things that drives their their questions away from what they propose. I think I mean this was a situation where I was actually able to find what I was looking for, uh, and I didn't have to <laughs> to 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 work really hard to find kind of like the evidence that I was kind of like looking for. And uh, I guess to to answer the second part of the question, um, uh, so the, the, this the, the area of the site where I'm working, it's um, it's communal land and, uh, and and the people have many histories or many stories about kind of like what use or what once was that the particular place. So there is a very rich ethnographic corpus of, uh, of of stories that they themselves talk about when they describe the site. And for me, uh, that tells me that there is a lot of connection with uh, the modern community and that that, con that, that, that persistence never, was never really fractured. That even though the modern community is not directly on top of the site, they never really um, abandoned the site and they never really disconnected with, uh, with the landscape. So to me, that tells me that there is a very strong sense of place that uh, was never really quite fractured. And so kind of like my research is really trying to understand what that relation or like what that relationality actually means and how that was able to position them uh, to wane or like to, uh, to withstand the big changes in the classic and post-classic. Yeah, I really like this, this idea of of having a strong sense of place. And this is something that's been coming up a lot in our recent episodes is just the different ways that working with the local community changes the process of doing the research and in many ways enhances the project. And so I'd love to hear a little bit about what your experience has been so far working with this local community that has such strong connections to the place that you're researching. You know, you've already told us a little bit about how the community's attachment to their their local home uh, affected your initial questions, but did the did your interactions with the community also affect the process of your research? Yeah, no, I definitely feel that um, I was able to uh, enrich my my depth of uh, the relationship that I was thinking about um, by talking with the community, specifically talking with the I mean, first of all, talking with the people that I was working with. Uh, one thing I um, I never really call them workers. I always talk talk to them as like the people that I was working with, because um, I, so I was actually reading this book. Uh, it's called "Those Who Shovel Are si Why Those Who Shovel Are Silent," um, and um, it's it's it's, it's a, a a book, like ethnography um, about the people working in Katahujuk and in in Petra, and uh, specifically the workers or like the the people that were working at those particular mm -hmm. sites and how much insight they were able to, to gather um, during uh, working 
year after year after year in big excavation um, uh, excavation projects. So I got some of that uh, insights or like, all right, let's actually then talk directly with the people that we're working with, see how they feel because also that it just so happened that we, um, we hire the same crew year after year when we actually do excavations. So there is a lot of information in terms of how they already know about like archeological knowledge. So one of the things that I, I think was greatly informed by that is uh, different construction uh, techniques. And specifically, there is this one particular type of construction that is very local to the Mixteca that is called Endeke construction. And um, if you do kind of like the biography of Endeke construction, it starts all the way into the early formative and it doesn't, and, and people still do that all the way into like the 1950s oh, wow. and 1960s. And, uh, and the people, again, uh, people within the community, um, they kind of like told me about the many different places that like you can actually see the quarries of that. So I, I, I was lucky enough to like go to this one place where um, it might be that this, this one hill was um, used as like the quarry for a lot of the construction materials that we've been excavating for, uh, for, for a long time now. And, and you can actually see someone like, or like they took the blocks and you can see that there is another, unfortunately, on uh, on on a study site, uh, archaeological site, literally right right next door. So I do think that there is uh -huh. some history there that um, I, again kind of like connects the people with the resources that they have. They know exactly where this particular resource is, and they have been using it for time immemorial. And it was actually kind of funny because um, when I was in in, in the community, uh, unfortunately, because of the earthquake that happened in in, in Mexico uh, in 2017, the church. Mm -hmm. Uh, got destroyed and I mean the church uh, also dates to like the 16th 17th century but it was also built within decade so um, they were able to use this the very same quarry because they already knew exactly where it was so it's, it's kind of interesting to see all of these connections be drawn um, as as I was doing my, my dissertation because then I'm able to see like yeah this is exactly what I'm thinking about that people never really mm. forgot where the main resources were for, for building their houses or for um like for for doing many different things, uh, and this it is the, the, those domestic practices that I'm kind of like really interested on for my, my dissertation because I do think that the domestic practices themselves is what like uh, drives this uh, persistence in um, and this connection to the place. That's so cool. And also the other thing is that um, kind of like working with, with the people around the community. So if, if, I think if I remember correctly, I think 60 or 70% of the people that are that live in the contemporary community of San, San Mateo de Latongo, they're actually, they're farmers. So uh, mm. I, I will normally have like a conversation with them about how they themselves relate to, to maize and to, to the product of the land. And it just really changed my, changed my mind in terms of how I think about uh, plants. Because for them, it was never just about plants. It was always about almost like thinking about it as like their offspring. Like they were very proud of the, like showing me their milpas because it's like, oh, like mine grew more or like mine is like healthier or, or something like that. So they had a really interesting relationship with, with the land and also with the product of the land and specifically the maize that I think is really interesting to see because um, I, I, again, I, I feel like it is those connections that actually has kept people in the same place or inhabiting the same place time and time again. Yeah, definitely. I've been thinking a lot about this idea of of place and and of communities recently, just because I, you know, I'm, I'm doing field research right now um, in uh, Copan in, in Honduras, 
And a lot of the people that work here have been working here for 20 or 30 years. Um, and so I think it's, it, it's, it's so interesting to come into a space and realize that, um, and once again, you know, I realizing that I'm coming as a visitor and obviously I'm very aware that I'm coming as a visitor, but it's always very, it, it, it just impresses me time and time again to realize that these people know this site and have seen it change. They've seen the changes it's gone through, you know, one project after another. Um, and yeah, so I feel like projects like this, that, that like yours that work with the community are so interesting because they, they hook into these connections with the area that are already there. So I, I'm curious about, you know, you, you just, like you mentioned, you just finished up uh, six months of, of field research. I would love to know if you're comfortable sharing, um, what are some of the things that you've realized or some of the conclusions that you've come to as a result of this research? Yeah, so um, in, in one of the areas that I was excavating, it was uh, fortuitous that we were able to uh, go all the way down to bedrock because I was never, my, my intention, and the reason mm. also, I guess I should have mentioned, mentioned one of the reasons why I decided not to go into the early formative is because in the my advisor's project, we had to dig to like three meters of field to get to the context that we wanted. And I was like, I do not ever want to do this again because it just takes forever. And then you open just a very small part of what, what you want to see. So for me, the post-classic mm -hmm. and the classic were like literally on the top. So it was very easy for me to just kind of like go and excavate without having to worry so much in, in terms of the stratigraphy. But in this one particular area, in this one area of, of, of the site, which I, I was not anticipating to, 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 to see anything beyond the classic because uh, previous research had suggested that the center of the community kind of like shifts uh, from like the valley top, or, like the, or like the valley floor into this hill, but uh, all the way on top of the hill, which is what I was excavating, um, I was able to find evidence of very early occupation as well, occupation at least to the middle formative. So surprisingly, in this one little household that I was able to excavate, I mean, I didn't excavate the middle formative co component of the of the household, but in in, in one specific uh, in two units, um, I was able to dig all the way to bedrock, and I was able to find middle formative occupation. So I don't know, but like I do think that there is some hint in terms of this one household inhabiting that very same space since the middle formative, and I do see different. Um, uh, okay, uh, construction episodes. So it's not just that mm -hmm. that there is this one middle formative occupation and then there's like a, a late formative occupation and there is a classic period occupation. I do see many evidence of different small construction uh, sequences. So I do all the construction um, uh, con construction periods. So um, I, 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 again, this is actually something that I'm slowly uh, working. But I do think that again, this particular household, this one household might have been inhabiting that place. I, I don't know if it might be the same people, the same group of people, but uh, I, I can definitely say that like this one area was occupied since the middle formative up until like to the, uh, the, the, the classic period, late classic period. So that was one of kind of like a really interesting find. And the other household that I was able to excavate, um, that one is mainly for, for um, dates to the early post-classic, but um, I was blown away by the amount of construction and the the in the rich uh, construction techniques that they're using. I don't know if um, people might be more um, or people might know uh, Mitla 
uh, the, the site in the Valley of Oaxaca better. And uh, this one household that I excavated at Rotongo has the same plan view as some of the houses in Mitla. And that to me was mind boggling because I was not anticipating mm -hmm. to be a, a, a architecture that rich. So we have a episode coming out in the near future on salt and how illuminating salt can be to the daily lives of everyday people. You know, so often archaeology focuses on the elites and the ceremonial architecture. And, you know, you've excavated two households from two different time periods. And is there anything that you found that's revealing to those, you know, the daily lives of everyday people, you know, whether it's continuity, like you mentioned, in, in going to the same construction sources, or just like, you know, the kitchen's always to the left of the doorway, or, you know, something else, or, or are there drastic differences between, say, the classic period and the post-classic, where daily life did change, for better or worse, and you know what that means to understanding the the niche tech and its deep history you know unrelated to the codices which again focus on elites and their marriages and their rituals and and all that fun stuff um, yeah so one of the things that i was able to document is that um I still need to tabulate there the, the, that's what I'm working on right now tabulating the uh, the analysis of the, the different materials but um one of the things that I was able to uh, to to identify at least in the classic period is uh, um, production of ceramics and uh, but interestingly enough and again this is why I think I'm, I'm really excited about persistence is because the same or like a very similar type of um, manufacturing of ceramics. I was also in fortuitously again that middle formative um, evidence that I have is basically a bell-shaped pit with evidence of ceramic production, and then I have a burial mm. in the that dates the classic period with also evidence of ceramic production. And to me, that is like, again, this is something that like is just almost mind boggling because I'm like, here we have one household that has evidence of occupation from the middle formative and has evidence of production of ceramics. And then we have a classic period household, like the two remnants that I was able to, like, to, to excavate and also has evidence of ceramic production. And basically what it looks like, so in the bell shape P, the middle formative one, I have actually like, the, the balls of clay, like pre uh, on, or on fire clay that they were using, like it's already mixed. And uh, I, I mean, it's just in, so interesting because then I was talking with like some people that still manufacture ceramics in Oaxaca and they give me kind of like the name for exactly what they call this ball that is ready to be worked on, but they haven't really worked on yet. Um, and, and then for the classic period, what I have is basically figurines that are on fire. So I know they're producing other figurines because they, they literally would have the figurines that never made it into the that, into the, 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 the kilns to be fired. And they're deposited there in, in the burials. And again, to me, the, that's suggesting that maybe some of the identities of the people in the classic is still very similar as to the ones in the formative period. But then in, in the household that I excavated in the post-classic, we don't really have evidence of... So this is in another part of the site, uh, slightly like... I think I'll probably say like maybe 300 
400 kilometers, 400 meters, sorry, uh, away. Uh, we have actually really, the, the construction that doesn't really change that much in terms of, uh, when, when we compare the classic and the post-classic, uh, like the, the houses, they're using this one and deck construction, or like one and they can building blocks. And uh, the, the techniques might vary and might change by the fact that they're using that very one type of rock is very telling for me. And specifically what they're doing to the rock, because uh, when I was excavating this one particular wall, it almost seems like some of the same motifs that I see in the ceramics, I see in the walls themselves. I, I see like the way they're carving the blocks in order to like embellish their um, their facades. So those, I mean, I, I, I'm all about connections myself. And I do think that there is some really interesting, uh, interesting things going on in terms of how they perceive ceramics as like coming from the earth versus how they perceive this also, this Endeka block that also comes from the earth that um, they may have very similar ontological um, existences or uh, they, they, might, they might be thought of as like being of, uh, very similar in terms of how the, the affordances that these techniques have. I love that. I think that's, a, I, I, and this is, this is what Tony and I talk about in that SALT episode, right? It's just how exciting it is to, to find these things that are part of the everyday life of everyday people. Um, and I think that it's really, it's really incredible that we can find the, things like this and that you can find that amount of continuity, right? I mean, that speaks to the, to the topic of your, of your project and this idea of persistence, right? Like you were saying. Um, so I guess as, as we start wrapping up, uh, one last question that I have is I would love to know what you love the most about what you do. Obviously you're really passionate about this topic, but what would you say is the most fulfilling or satisfying part of your job? In, in terms of actually doing the field work, because I mean, I guess I should separate in terms of the field work and actually just kind of like then here going back. Um, in terms of doing the field work, one of the things that I really, really love is talking with the people in the community because there is so much knowledge that uh, unfortunately, uh, because of academic parlance, I don't think it gets, um, it, it's not really thought of as being knowledge. And uh, I, I, I do think that we do a disservice because we sort of like create a, um, like um uh, like a filter between what we think of as being academic knowledge mm -hmm. and just knowledge. So uh, one of my mm -hmm. professors here at, at UW, she speaks of as being um, indigenous knowledge systems, as in plural, in turn to highlight mm -hmm. that uh, oftentimes these uh, these knowledge are actually contextualizable within a specific areas. And unfortunately, that doesn't even translate well enough. And to me, even though I mean I'm originally from Oaxaca, but uh, and uh, I live half of my life in in a very same similar area as the one that I was working on, but they were almost two different worlds apart because of how much um, interesting things I was learning by just talking with the people that that live and have been living there for for quite a long time. And in terms of yeah. the uh, academic aspect of things, or actually going back. 
then uh, having to to then translate those uh, those knowledge systems into uh, into a language that I can then disseminate uh, in, throughout mm -hmm. kind of like my my own writing, and and, and it's almost I mean I know it's a little cliche, but it's um, giving voice to people that otherwise might not be heard. Absolutely, yeah, and I think that's yeah that's so important. I, if if I can just say something really quick, then is that. I feel like Oaxaca is this place that it's oftentimes assumed that we know the history because there is so much publications, like uh, at least when we think about like the 60s and 70s, uh, the, the, the luminaries mm -hmm. of uh, uh, of Mesoamerican archaeology were doing all this work in, in, in Oaxaca, and those are the reasons why I think people think that we know Oaxaca archaeology, but there are so, so many gaps, specifically in in these little known regions, like, like the Mixteca, like the Chinantla, uh, the other regions beyond just the Valley of Oaxaca. And, and to me, that's the rich part about working in Oaxaca, that is, there is so much work to do in the many different regions to a point where like in, 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 this, in some of the regions, we don't even have a chronology. We only have like maybe one or two sites that like we think uh, the date to this particular time period, but uh, with the fact that we don't even know exactly, like we, we don't have like good ceramic chronologies for uh, to even begin to do some work in in some regions. That to me is what strikes me the most, and like what excites me about working in Oaxaca. So I guess my my final question would be: what in what direction do you want your research to go? after you finish your dissertation? Like what, what sorts of topics do you hope to tackle next, um, either for yourself or addressing, again, community interests? Yes, so uh, there is another interesting story that I think also needs to be told, in, uh, but that one is historical archeology span because there is this uh, a Porfiriato, or like an hacienda that dates to the Porfiriato. So we're talking about, uh, the beginning of the uh, of the nineteenth um, century. No, wait, never mind. Let me start again. <laughs> I get confused because I was trying to like translate it from English to Spanish. Novecientos. <laughs> uh, <laughs> sorry. Um, yeah. So there is this um, interesting hacienda that dates to a much recent uh, time period. So it is not a colonial hacienda, it's an hacienda that dates to, uh, to the Porfiriato. So it is to the uh, 1900s. And, um, and it specifically is related with the story of the land reforms in, in Mexico. So um, uh, there is a uh, almost like a, um, a, a web of relationships between the ruins, the Hispanic ruins, the ruins of the hacienda, and uh, the the contemporary stories between those two, and uh, I feel like we, if we only focus on the Hispanic ruins, we do a disservice to the persistence of the place because the stories around the Porfiriato, especially, unfortunately, are ones of dispossession. But then, once the Porfiriato, more or less, and the revolution happens, it is this hacienda uh, that then disseminate or like that the the the, the um, the farmers, the or the, the contemporary farmers get their um, their land from uh, dispossessing the hacienda itself, and the ruins are there, and people think about talk about it. That those ruins they talk about like the different stories. So there is also like a really interesting 
story that needs to be told about um, dispossession and reclamation of land. Uh, but that one, unfortunately, is a more recent and uh, kind of like it's a little going into the historical archaeology. And I, 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 the more I think about it, the more it makes sense to me to like leave uh, um, kind of like the pre-Columbian world and jump into historical archaeology. But again, this is sort of like just me thinking about this, but like, I don't know if it actually will happen. <laughs> but like, mm -hmm. I, I mean, I, I do think that um, historical archaeology is again one of those things that it's like, oh, there is almost like nothing going on in historical archaeology in Mexico. Everything is about pre -Columbian, the pre-Columbian world. Yeah, no, I think that would be so interesting. And yeah, just the way that that ties into the ideas that you're already exploring of continuity and persistence, I think, at least, at least you have convinced me. So I think it sounds like a great idea. Awesome. Okay. Well, I mean, I have thoroughly enjoyed this. I love hearing more about the work that you've been doing.